official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. So it's my job this morning to finish our Daniel series and cover the final five chapters of the book. And these aren't just any chapters. They're full of visions and prophecies and symbolic figures and angelic visitations. It's like the most complex section of the book. And you don't typically hear a lot of sermons out of these chapters. And because I only preach for 30 minutes, that means I have six minutes for each chapter, which is completely not even possible. So instead, I've elected to a different plan of attack to today. What I want to do is take 15 minutes and provide a snapshot of these final chapters in the book, chapters 8 through 12. Then what I want to do is take 10 minutes, and we're going to go back to chapter 9, because in chapter 9, Daniel prays a specific prayer that I want us to read together and see what we can kind of glean from Daniel's prayer. I kind of feel like there's a theme of prayer so so far in in our gathering, so it's really interesting to me that we're going to be hanging out in this prayer for a few minutes this morning. And then finally, I'm going to wrap up by just taking five minutes and asking the all-important question, what can we learn and apply to our everyday lives from this little book called Daniel? And before we run through these last five chapters, it's important to note something, and that's this that there are other passages of Scripture outside of the book of Daniel that coincide with and speak directly to what's happening inside the book of Daniel. And I like to think of these other passages outside the book of Daniel as uh, offering perspective or camera angles, if you will, on the same event that's happening. So I'm a little bit of a sports fan, and, and I like to watch football. And if, if you watch sports on TV, you'll know that it's not just one camera that covers the field. There's multiple cameras all the way around, and they provide different angles, right? They let you see, they're all filming the same event, but they let you see different perspectives of what's happening. And the scripture acts that way as well. And so we're reading the story of Daniel. We've been looking at the story of Daniel, but understand that there's other cameras in scripture that are kind of filming the same event. For instance, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22, we see a camera angle on these last five chapters of Daniel. And it says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, remember that's the king who Daniel's serving under during these last five chapters. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and... May the Lord their God be with them. Now, this is a camera angle that we don't get from the book of Daniel. Daniel doesn't provide us with this information, but the very king he's serving during these last five chapters of the book, he, he, he responds to what God's doing in his life, and he actually releases 50,000 Jews from 70 years of exile to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and he funds it. What an amazing 
perspective and camera angle that, that Daniel doesn't give us that information. Let me point out two other interesting cameras that we find in Scripture that are kind of recording this event, these last five chapters in the book. One of them is from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah tells us in his book that this King Cyrus would release the Jews and send them back to Jerusalem, but he tells us this 150 years before it actually happened. Isn't that amazing? That, that Isaiah, the prophet, in chapters 44 and 45, he foretells what King Cyrus would do before Cyrus is even born. Right? Like talk about an amazing camera angle. Isaiah 44, verse 28 says this. And Isaiah's prophesying about these last five chapters of Daniel. He says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please? He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. And so 150 years before, before this event happens, Isaiah is prophesying about it. Bible prophecy is just amazing. Jeremiah, the same thing happens with the prophet Jeremiah. He wrote this 70 years previous to the events in Daniel, these last five chapters. And Jeremiah prophesies to the Jewish people before they even go into Babylonian captivity. And here's what he says in chapter 25, verse 11, to the Jewish people. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Isn't that amazing? Chapter 29, verse 10, he goes on to say, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so Jeremiah, Isaiah, Second Chronicles, they're all providing this information that, that coincides with the book of Daniel, these last five chapters. Uh, another thing that I just love and find so interesting, have you guys ever heard of something called the Cyrus Cylinder? The Cyrus Cylinder is a clay cylinder, and it's a Persian record, historical record, of what we just read in Jeremiah and Isaiah and what we read about in Daniel. And it records everything that happened. And this cylinder belongs to a museum called the British Museum. In 2013, it actually toured five U.S. cities. I didn't get a chance to see it, but I would love to see this someday. And, and I, I love this stuff because we're reading the book of Daniel, we're studying the book of Daniel, and we're using Daniel's camera, his perspective of the events of what God's doing. But then we have all these other stuff. We have the Cyrus Cylinder, we have the prophet Isaiah, we have the prophet Jeremiah, we have the historical account in Second Chronicles of all this stuff happening. And what it does for me is it just gives me great confidence in Scripture, and it gives me great confidence in my God that, that, man, he knows what's going to unfold. And we read Bible prophecy, and, and it just builds so much faith and expectation. And so I want to point that out as we go through these last five chapters, that um, God is doing some remarkable things in these chapters. And what I want to do is I want to kind of race through, or I'm going to get, take 12 minutes. Are you guys okay with that? 12 minutes, we're going to race through five chapters of Scripture, five real complex chapters. And I have a slide for each chapter, which is going to kind of help us move through. Let's go, let's go through these. Are you ready? I'm just waiting for at least to get three people to say they're ready. One, two, three, boom. Okay, Daniel chapter 8. Here's what happens in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel has a vision. And after this vision, 
the angel Gabriel comes and interprets what the vision is. And here's what Daniel sees in his vision. He sees a ram who goes to battle with a one-horned goat slash unicorn type creature. And the ram is defeated by this one-horned goat. And so Gabriel comes and he tells him, hey, Daniel, here's what the vision means. The ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire, the empire that Daniel was actually serving, right? King Cyrus. And and the goat, the one-horned goat, represents Greece, the nation of Greece. And so there's this interpretation for him. Now, this hasn't happened yet, but he said these two nations are going to battle together, and Greece is going to win, the one-horned goat's going to win. And after a time, that horn's going to be broken off, and it's going to be replaced by four more horns. And you, Daniel's just seeing this like, this is crazy. This one-horned goat beats the ram, the horn falls off, four more horns grow on his head. And Gabriel's telling them, well, here's what this means. And it's interesting because we can look back on history and we can see that the Greek Empire, when they defeated and conquered the Persian Empire, it was done by somebody called Alexander the Great, who's, who's heard of Alexander the Great before. He was a great uh, Greek leader. And history tells us that he was the one who was responsible to, to, in conquering Persia. And so, sometime after, when we, we read in this vision that the horn breaks off and four more horns come up, and history tells us that after Alexander ceased leading, that the, the Greek empire was kind of splintered into four realms. And so again, this is this Bible prophecy. It's just so amazing. Gabriel goes on to tell Daniel that after these four kingdoms fizzle out, there's going to be a fierce-looking king who will arise, and he's going to cause deceit to prosper, and there's going to be all kinds of devastation. There's all kinds of conjecture of who, who that is, who that king. Some believe it to be Rome, and which eventually kind of took the spot of Greece. Some people think it's a future event. But that's chapter 8. We ready to go to chapter 9? How many did I lose right there in chapter 8? You're still figuring out a goat and a goat-like unicorn. Chapter 9. In chapter 9, Daniel is praying. And we're going to come back and look at his prayer in a little bit. But while he's praying, he has another visitation by the angel Gabriel. And Daniel is praying about Jeremiah's prophecy, which we just read, because Daniel is a man of Scripture and the Word, and he's reading Jeremiah's prophecy, saying, wow, it says here that, that we're going to be in captivity for 70 years, and that 70 years is up. I should pray about this. And so he starts to pray in chapter 9, and then the, the angel Gabriel appears and, and gives him more insight. And Gabriel tells Daniel that Jeremiah's 70-year prophecy is just the beginning that, in fact, it's going to be 77s that are going to pass before sin and wickedness is finally atoned for. Because in Daniel's prayer, he's confessing the sins of the nation. He's confessing his own sin and wickedness. And Gabriel comes and said, hey, that prophecy by Jeremiah is just the beginning. In fact, it's going to be 77s before sin is atoned for. And Gabriel tells Daniel about this anointed one who's going to come. Right? And eventually he's going to be put to death, and he's referring to Jesus. This is what's known as a messianic prophecy. He's foretelling the coming of Jesus. It's interesting that in Scripture, Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appears four times to three different people. And he appears to Daniel twice. He appears to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then he appears to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. All four, all four conversations that Gabriel have with humans, is to proclaim and announce the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, which is quite interesting. Well, 
Gabriel goes on in, in chapter 9 to tell Daniel about this abominable act that's going to happen in the future regarding the temple. And there's all kinds of uh, theories and conjecture about what that act is. Some believe that it was Antiochus Epiphanes, who in 160 BC, he, he, he sacrificed a pig in the temple and splattered pig's blood all over the Jewish temple, which was an abominable act, right? And then others believe that when Titus marched on Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in AD 70, that that's what Gabriel was talking about. Others believe it's a future event that hasn't happened yet. It's all kind of conjecture, but it's so interesting to see that Daniel's just seeing all this unfold. Can you imagine? All this visions and prophecies about the future, and in some instances in these chapters, it says he's so overwhelmed he has to sleep for days because of the intensity of all this. All right, chapter 10. In chapter 10, Daniel has another vision, and in this vision, he's He's been fasting and praying for 21 days, and one day he's standing out by the riverbank, and he has a vision of a heavenly messenger, and he tells us that all the people who are by the river freak out and run away, because this vision is so um, overwhelming. And in this vision, the messenger tells Daniel that he was sent to Daniel from the first day he started praying. Remember, he was praying for 21 days. And this messenger tells Daniel, for 21 days, I left 21 days. I was coming to talk to you about some future stuff. And what happened is I was detained and resisted by the prince of Persia for 21 days. And he tells them, but Michael the angel came and helped out. And now I'm here after 21 days to tell you these future events. And so apparently there's this epic spiritual war that's happening in another dimension, in another realm that Daniel has not seen, that he's not recognized, but he has this holy messenger come and tell him, yeah, I, I, I was dispatched 21 days ago, but there's, there's this battle with the prince of Persia. Michael came and fought him, and I got, I got here, and here I am to tell you this. I don't know about you, but that makes me think about prayer in a whole different way. Like, whoa, wait a second. There's a spiritual realm and dimension that we can't see that's like affected. Like when we pray, Daniel prayed and it took 21 days. What is that about? Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Whoa, right? These are not just blow your mind. Daniel 11, ready? With two, two left, two more. Daniel 11 is about these kings that exalt themselves above God, and this messenger, the same messenger from, from chapter 10, tells Daniel about a future power struggle between Persia and Greece. It's kind of a confirmation of the vision he had in chapter 8, and he tells Daniel that Greece will eventually win, but later it will be broken up into four parts and uprooted, and then he, there's this conversation about a war going on between the king of the north and the king of the south, and it involves deceit and intrigue and lies and bribery. And ultimately what happens is the king of the north turns his fury towards God's people. And so there's great persecution on God's people, uh, but they resist and they are refined and they're purified. And the northern king expands his empire all, all over the world, but ultimately meets a tragic end. Boom, that's the end of chapter 11. <laughs> you retain all that? 
Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> chapter 12, last chapter, the, that same messenger, that same messenger says to Daniel, you'll have to read all this now, right? The same messenger says to Daniel that there's going to be deliverance for God's people, that there's going to be a resurrection and an awakening of God's people, and they're going to shine like the heavens. And so the whole book ends with this. Daniel has two questions for this messenger. The first question he says is, how long until this happens? It's a good question, right? All these visions of stuff in the future. And he gets a cryptic answer from the messenger. The messenger says this, it'll happen in a time, times, and half a time. Well, thanks for clearing that up, holy messenger. <laughs> What does that mean? And so Daniel asks the second question. He says, well, what will the outcome be? And the messenger basically says, don't worry about it, chief. We got this. In fact, Daniel, everything you've seen, we're going to roll it up in a scroll, and we're going to seal it for the times of the end. You know, we think that you know, it's hard for us to wait a year to watch a sequel to our favorite movie. Can you imagine this? You have all these visions, all this prophecy happening. You're like, whoa, what's going to happen? Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's interesting, in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, what we see is a holy messenger, an angel, right, talking with John, who's writing Revelation, and he gives John a scroll that's sealed and, and rolled up, and he says, John, eat this. And in his vision, he eats the scroll, and all of a sudden, he starts to, to prophesy and have these visions about these beasts and, and all this end-time events. And he even uses some of the same language of a time, times, and half a time. And you're thinking, whoa. A lot of Bible scholars believe that, that John is eating that scroll, right? That hit the, the back half of the prophecy in Revelation is, is really a continuation. Doesn't that just all blow your mind? Man, it blows my mind. Um, all right, here's what we're going to do now. Step two. Now that we've scanned these five chapters, we're going to go back to Daniel chapter. By the way, this is not a typical sermon at Church of the Well. <laughs> Just kind of blast through all of these like visions of goats and rams battling and creatures. Um, but I think, I th listen, the Bible's given to us for a reason. God wants to communicate something to us. And so it's really important to not neglect these chapters that are a little bit more difficult to understand. But that being said, we're going to go back to chapter 9 and spend a few minutes in chapter 9 and read Daniel's prayer. Because in Daniel 9, as, as I mentioned, Daniel is praying about this 70-year uh, captivity that's been prophesied about that's coming to an end. And, you know, it, you can imagine if, if us as a people were in captive in exile for 70 years and we got this pr prophecy from God that we were going to be released, that'd be something worth praying about. And he's praying about it, and um, I want us to read that prayer and then glean a few things from it. I'm going to invite Rodman up, and he's going to read our passage for us this morning. And we're going to slow way down, because this is a long prayer. And as I, look at, as I looked at the verbs in verse 3, it was clear to me that this is not a one-time prayer but this was the cry of Daniel's heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to back up to verse 3 just to catch the context. Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned. And done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. 
We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the peoples of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the, law, in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice." And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. What a great prayer, huh? Powerful prayer. Let's take a moment and just look at how kind of Daniel constructs this particular prayer. He starts by just adoring who God is. He says, God, you're great. You're awesome. You keep your covenant of love. And immediately after he, he takes time just acknowledging God and adoring God, he moves into this really lengthy time of confession. And he just comes before God with humility and repentance, and he's asking God to, to forgive, 
and he's confessing the sin of the nation, what brought them to this exile. And then after that, he moves into a time of thanksgiving. And he actually goes back and reflects on the Exodus, how God took them out of Egypt, and he starts to reflect on that and thank God for it. And then finally, he makes his request before God. He, he makes supplication, and he asks God for help. And the reason that I want to just kind of sit with this prayer a little bit is because I want to encourage all of you who are interested in, in practicing prayer, all of you who are interested in experimenting with prayer, to kind of try out this prayer template. But that starts with adoration, and then moves to confession, and then moves to thanksgiving, and then moves to supplication. And so there's an acronym known for this type of prayer called ACTS. It helps us remember kind of this template that Daniel prays that, of, of how to kind of walk through a prayer. And so for those of you who want to experiment in prayer, maybe your prayer life is just a little bit of a struggle. Maybe it's kind of stagnant. And, and sometimes, you know, using a template like this can really help us. That's why liturgy is so useful in the church because it helps us to get prayer going. And so at the end of our time together, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that uses this template. But before we do that, i got to wrap up our series. And I want to answer the question, what can we learn from the book of Daniel? And what can we apply to our everyday lives? I doubt we're going to see a one-horned goat in a, in a ram do battle. <laughs> right? But that being said, this is so relevant to our lives. And we can learn a lot from this book. And I'll start with this. One thing the book of Daniel does is it shows us how hope in God fuels faithfulness. You guys might have noticed this morning we sang a song about how faithful God is, right? Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be. What we find in the book of Daniel, in particular the first six chapters, is Daniel and his friends are put in some really difficult situations. They're thrust into all kinds of tension again and again, and yet by seeing God being faithful to them, it motivates their faithfulness to him. Did you catch that? I need to say that again, right? By seeing God be faithful to Daniel and his friends, it fueled their faithfulness to him, and so they were able to trust and to put their hope in God. Because oftentimes faithfulness is birthed out of hope. I want you to reflect for a moment on your, on your walk with God and on your spiritual journey. In the times when you were most faithful, I'm guessing those were the times when you, you were hoping in God the most. The times in your life when you were maybe less faithful, you were probably hoping in God less. Because oftentimes it's our hope in God that fuels our faithfulness in God. And so a lot of times my job as, as a preacher and as a pastor is, is not to not to pull out nuggets of scripture that wow you and impress you. Oftentimes what my job is, is to get you to hope in God. Because if you're hoping in God, it's going to fuel faithfulness, right? The other thing that the book of Daniel does and helps us with is it leaves us with a pattern and a promise. And, and the pattern is this. Nations, leaders, empires are going to rise and fall. But God is and always will be our true king. 
We see that pattern throughout the book of Daniel. Nations, leaders, kings, kingdoms, empires, they rise, they fall, but ultimately God is and always will be our king. And on many levels, Daniel, this little book, it helps you and I wrestle with some of the tensions we experience of being heavenly citizens and earthly citizens. How many of you guys felt any tension during the midterm elections this last week? Right? Lots of people were watching, and there was a lot of angst, and there was a lot of, oh, man, what's going to happen? And, and there still is quite a bit of tension. I'm not sure if you've noticed this yet or not, but the kingdom of God doesn't always neatly fit in our two-party political system. Right? There's some tensions that we kind of just have, to, have to, to wrestle with. Here's what I love about the book of Daniel, is that our tendency is to run away from that tension, to avoid any kind of tension and problems and that, that we can and just kind of leave it, leave it be. But Daniel shows us the exact opposite, that he's actually engaging and embracing that tension. Think about his life. Think about the story. He's taken in captive as a young teenager, and he's forced into this Babylonian kingdom, which is just is, is so backwards, <laughs> and it's so upside down. And then he's taken over by a Persian kingdom, and it's the same thing. And yet he's faithfully trying to navigate this and say, okay, how do I, how do I be faithful to my God? How do I be faithful to my convictions and my conscience? And yet also engage these broken systems. And he doesn't run away from it. He fully engages it. And see, for us sometimes, especially in America, because we're used to avoiding tension and uncomfortableness at all costs, <laughs> that the moment we experience tension, political tension, tension in, 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 our, in our lives, tension with our faith, we kind of run away from it instead of engaging it and embracing it. And Daniel is a book that can encourage us and challenge us to not do that. See, that somehow we have to engage what is causing us tension. We have to engage with it. See, here's, here's what, I hope you all voted this week. Might be a couple people in here who did. Let me, let me, let me say this. Here, here's why politics matter. Because politics shape policy. Policy impacts people. And people matter to God. But oftentimes, especially in, in, in the state that we're in now, there's so much division, right, in our country. Oftentimes, we just want to stay away from it and run away from it. But what, when I read the book of Daniel, I can't help but notice Daniel's just like jumping into the fray. Right? He's saying, oh, I'll deal with this tension. God's got my back. My, God's my ultimate king. But I'm just going to try to make all the change I can in this system because people matter to God. Isn't that encouraging? So throughout this book, we see Daniel kind of navigating this tension. And I believe that the reason he's able to do that is because his hope is rooted in this. That no matter what happens, God is still on the throne. God is my king right? God is still on the throne. He's still my king. Now, here's the promise of the book, and I'll end with this. The promise of the book of Daniel is, is so encouraging, and it's this. One day, God's going to complete his rescue mission of our world, and he's going to merge heaven with earth, and he's going to establish his kingdom forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Scripture even tells us this, that he's going to bring healing to the nation. 
Let me read a verse to you from the very last chapter of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. John is having a vision now. And he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Guys, I got to tell you, that just brings so much hope and encouragement to my life. When we're like viewing the political landscape and all the tension that we're kind of thrust into, and we think about just the the brokenness and and the chaos in our world, guys, this is good news. That the day's going to come when, when God is going to restore and heal. And that, that just tremendous hope in that. And, and it's my prayer that that hope fuels our faithfulness. Our faithfulness to engage, right? Also, our faithfulness to trust that God is our one true king. And that he's going to restore what's broken. He's going to mend because that's who he is. It's what he does. And so I just want to say a prayer for us. And I'm going to use the template that we see in Daniel's chapter 9. We'll just experiment with that. Will you guys do that with me? Bow, bow your heads in prayer. All right, let's, let's pray together and close up this series in the book of Daniel. The book of Revelation is going to be next for our church. I'm just kidding. We, we're not going to... Let's pray. <clears throat> let's just take a moment just to adore who God is. God, you are awesome and good and faithful even when we're not. And you are our true king. Lord, we just want to take a moment to confess our fear. of. We want to confess before you that um, sometimes we get scared and we get uncomfortable and we try to run away from that instead of being agents of change. And Lord, we, we just confess our shortcoming in that. God, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We give thanks to you for this book that is so challenging and so um, encouraging. It encourages us up. God, to be able to hope and trust that not only are you our king, but you have invited us into the fray. You've called us into the fray to engage these broken systems in the world. And so, Lord, we come before you and make our supplication. We, we ask that you would give us the confidence and the courage that comes from you to do that really well. God, we're living in a time when we see that happen in a way that, that, that's not done so well. So, Lord, would you give us the wisdom, the faithfulness, the encouragement, and the opportunities to step into those places to engage what it is you're calling us to engage in and to navigate this tension of belonging to the kingdom of God but also these earthly kingdoms that we're a part of. Figure out how do we become agents of change and, and, and be a part of your kingdom until you one day merge heaven and earth together and establish your kingdom forever and ever. 
Lord, lastly, I ask that you would infuse hope into our hearts. Lord, sometimes we can get so overwhelmed with just the brokenness, not only in the world, in our country, but in our own lives, that we lose sight of hope, our hope in you. So God, would you resurrect that in our hearts this morning? Infuse hope. And God, we, we ask that that hope would fuel faithfulness. God, as we even sang about your faithfulness today, God, would, would, you, would you just echo and resonate that in our hearts? And would it motivate our faithfulness to you? And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand up and we'll close with just one worship song together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.